rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton. Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman. Welcome to episode number five of Superman in the Bronze Age. My name is Charlie Niemeyer, and I want to wish everyone out there a Merry Christmas. With it being the holidays, I wanted to try something a little different. Uh, things are a little hectic around here, so I'm not going to be doing a full episode like I normally do. But I wanted to do something special because it is Christmas. So I've got a special review today of, of a Christmas story. Um, I'll get more onto that in a minute. But first, I want to get into some, I got some business I want to take care of. Um, first of all, let's do some emails. First email I've got is from Steve Rogers, who has is a frequent letter, or letter, <laughs> frequent email writer to various other shows like Tales of the JSA and the other Superman podcasts and everything like that. So it's great to have him listening in. And I thank you, Steve. Um, he writes, hey, Charlie, just listen to the latest episode featuring the start of the Kryptonite Nevermore story. And just think you're continuing to knock it out of the park. Thanks. Quick question, though. Like From Crisis to Crisis, do you have plans to take a quick peek at Superman's 1970s, early 80s, other mediums appearances? And I'll assume that they're just limited to the Superman, to the Super Friends series and, of course, the movies. Though if you are doing other mediums, you must, must look at the superhero parody sketch from Saturday Night Live in 1978. I think offhand, where Margot Kidder, the host that night, reprised Lois Lane and Bill Murray played Superman slash Clark Kent. Classic sketch from the golden age of SNL. Signed, Steve Rogers. Well, I'm glad you asked that, Steve. Uh, yes, I do plan on getting at least some of it. I'm not going to cover everything. Um, I know, I think it was during the 70s, he actually does make an appearance on the Brady Bunch kids, or the Brady kids. Uh, animated series. Uh, I don't. I'm pretty sure his appearances on Sesame Street were back in the 60s. Um, I will be mentioning Super Friends. I won't be covering it because that's more of a. I. I think of that as more of a Justice League thing than a Superman thing. Uh, but I will try to mention uh, once we get that far. Anyway, uh, I do plan to mention some Super Friends stuff. Um, I do have uh, some ideas percolating in my head. Uh, to, for covering the Superman movies, uh, three of the of the four Christopher Reeve movies actually came out during the Bronze Age, and um, I have some ideas. I don't know how well they're they're going to work out, uh, but I do have some ideas as far as covering all uh, those three. But I do have quite a ways to go before I reach that point. I mean, um, we are just getting into 1971 and the beginning of it. Just a of course, and the first Superman movie doesn't even come out until the end of 78, so I've got a little bit of time before I have to worry about that, but I'm thinking I want to do something special for the movies, uh, take a, take an episode break from the actual shows, or from the actual comics, I mean, and uh, try to cover the movies. Uh, like I said, I will be covering, uh, we'll be mentioning Super Friends in all the various uh versions that will be airing during the Bronze Age, and um, that's really about it as far as, I mean, I'll, I obviously would have to look more, uh, because I don't know much about these, uh, about this era of, as far as outside of the comics. Uh, I do thank you for mentioning that Saturday Night Live sketch. I've heard, of, heard it mentioned uh, somewhere, but um, I'll definitely be looking into this, and uh, that would definitely be something to cover. Uh, sounds like it's a pretty good idea to have Margaret Kidder reprise Lois Lane. It makes perfect sense. And if it's got Bill Murray and the classic guys from Saturday Night Live, I'm looking forward to see it. So thank you, Steve. And um, let's see. Next up, I have another email from Michael Bradley. Uh, so Michael says, another good episode. I agree with your sentiments about the lack of exploration of Krypton post-crisis. I've always loved the backup stories from pre-crisis, Fabulous World of Krypton, The Private Life of Clark Kent, etc. 
They just help flesh out the tapestry of the world these characters lived in. That's why I love the Triangle Era so much. They created a world. Even though they didn't utilize many backups, the stories had supporting characters that each had their own stories and arcs that weave through Superman's adventures. Sometimes they have very little to do with Superman, but helping to flesh out that character, whether it be a major supporting character like Jimmy Olsen or a minor one like Allie the, Cap uh, the Copy Girl. I think one reason for less focus on Krypton was that it wasn't nearly as ripe with stories. When John Byrne reinvented Krypton, he did so with the absolute intent of making a solid, sterile place people wouldn't want to visit. Here's a quote from Byrne. When I showed the first issue to Richard and Winnie Penny, uh, Wendy said I'd created a Krypton that deserved the blow-up, and that was my intent. I don't want nostalgia for that place. It's very clear that in that first issue of Superman, or... Sorry, it's very clear in that first issue that Superman is lucky to have come here. Eventually, when Superman learns he's from Krypton, he will declare, I'm a human being, because he doesn't want to be Krypton or Kryptonian. Krypton is an anathema, anathema to him. I admit that that made Superman slash Clark Kent a stronger or at least more relatable character, but it came at a big price, namely the fertile storytelling ground of pre-crisis Krypton. Feel free to read as much or as little of that as you see fit. I realize it's mostly off-topic as far as your podcast goes. That's that's just fine, Michael. Um, I I do like to do a few. I do mention, in fact, I mentioned in that episode that you know there were differences between the way it was portrayed back in the pre-crisis to post-crisis. So this is fine. Anything relating to Superman, I want to talk about, and this is definitely something very Superman. It was nice hearing your reminiscences. I think I said that right, about meeting Julie Schwartz. I was shocked to hear that Neil Adams isn't a fan of the cover of 233. And I was too. I I mean, it makes sense. I I don't post it, but I do a little dabble and do sketches. Um, I've actually got an uh, picture I've got hanging up of Superman. That mostly, um, when I, tr I try to draw sometimes, most of my drawings, um, I'm more of a cartoony guy. Uh, and so when I draw like Superman, it looks more like um, animated series kind of thing. Uh, same, well, actually, same thing with all the characters. Um, and uh, so I try to use the simple shapes like Bruce Tim does, like Bruce Tim uses for his designs. And I'm never pleased with the art. In fact, there's one, the only picture I do have that I've kept. I did put a lot of work into it, but I just had it in a book for a long time. Then my wife saw it and said it was really awesome. She bought a frame for it and now it's hanging up in my my nerd room. But um, beyond that, I've never liked any piece of art that I've ever done. And I have to give a lot of credit to these artists that do the comics and stuff to feel at least comfortable enough to have it uh, printed on the page and put out for millions of people to see, considering I don't think any artist likes their art. And that's actually what um, what Michael actually says. I guess it just goes to show that sometimes the artist is the hardest one to please about his work. Um, thanks again for playing my promo on this episode. I appreciate it, Michael. Um, that actually leads to something else. Um, yes, I did play Michael's promo. He is starting uh, in the beginning of January. He's starting a new show um, all about the golden age of Superman. The website for it is at www.greatcrypton.com, and it's, he's going to be covering the uh, what do you want to call it? the golden age of Superman, starting from the beginning. And in, in addition to the comics, he's going to be covering like the all all sorts of media: the radio show, animated shorts, the the live action serials, and the advertising and the toys and all that stuff. And he says he's planning to start that at the beginning of January. And um, I've got the, I played the promo last episode. I plan on playing it again this episode. Um, and he's already talked to Michael Bailey about joining the Superman Podcast Network. So we're really so that's pretty exciting. Um, and in a world's exclusive uh, announcement, um, I also get to uh, to mention that in addition to Michael's uh, podcast about the Golden Age of Superman. John M. Wilson of uh, Amazing Spider-Man Classics and Teenage Wasteland and Ultimate Spider-Man podcast fame is also doing a Golden Age Superman podcast, which I found pretty ironic. They actually, both of these guys uh, decided to do this completely independent of each other, and 
somehow it must have been a good idea obviously to minds think alike on this but um both of them decided they wanted to do a new podcast both of them decided they wanted to do a podcast about the golden age of superman and both of them decided that it want, they wanted to start it in january uh john in wilson's podcast um i've heard the pilot episode i don't know if he's recording a new one or if he's going to keep it and do some more editing or if it's just going to play the way it is um i thought it was great um but the his first episode um, has already been recorded and I know he's also wanting to join the Superman Podcast Network so we're actually going to have double coverage of one of the eras so I think that's great Um, these two guys will be covering the same era but um, I do want to say I recommend listening to it uh, both of the shows we've got two guys I would imagine they're from different parts of the country and live very different lives and they're going to be coming at this from two entirely different perspectives. And I'm really interested to see the compare and contrast between the two shows. Uh, John tells me I'm the first one to get to announce this. Uh, by the time this show is uploaded and available for download, you should be able to go to any of his various sites, um, AmazingSpidermanClassics.Libson.com. Probably will have something, I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, he's also on Facebook. He's a John Man Wilson, plus uh, both Teenage Wasteland and an Ultimate Spider-Man podcast and Amazing Spider-Man Classics um, have, fan pa- have fan pages, I believe, and um, so you can go to those, and I believe he'll be announcing this on those, and he'll have more information about his show, but um, this is the first announcement that he will be doing a Golden Age Superman podcast, so uh, wish both of these guys good luck in this endeavor, and um, I, I want to thank John for Feeling that my show was cool enough to actually get to be the first to actually announce it, so this is pretty exciting for me. But um, I want to uh, thank you again, Michael, for for writing in, and um, I look forward to both your shows. Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program featuring the thrilling adventures of an amazing and incredible personality. than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings with a single bound. This amazing stranger from the planet Krypton. The man of steel. Superman. The thrilling adventures of Superman. A journey through the golden age of the man of steel in comics, radio, and film. Available at GreatCrypton.com Just who the hell are you? He's James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? What did you say your name was? Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? We violate the treaty, Captain. Red alert! All hands, battle station! What are you scratching at? Can we just get down to it, please? Prepare to attack. All hands battle Monthly Mondays, available the second Monday of every month.
at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. December 7th, Earth 2, 1941, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different, a date which will live in infamy, a world at war, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. The Tales of the Justice Society of America, every Friday at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man. Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com. And let's see. We're going to get into the comic. Now, like I said, I'm doing something a little different this time. First of all, I'm going without notes this time because I just didn't have the time. I'm sorry. But uh, it's been really hectic around here at the, uh, with the being the holidays. We've got, um, I've been busy with shopping and getting the house ready because we're having uh, family visitors tomorrow uh, which is Sunday the 19th uh, not for Christmas stuff just a family get-together and um, then we've got a couple days and then we're driving up on the, the 22nd we're actually gonna be leaving my wife and I sorry me but uh, my wife and I were driving up to see her to visit her dad and uh, kind of celebrate a short early Christmas with him Along with her, uh, with my wife's uh, family, the rest of my wife's family, her brothers. She's got two brothers, and both of them are married. Uh, one of the brothers has a daughter, and um, so we're going to get to hang out with all of them for an early Christmas. And then um, Christmas Eve, all of us kids are headed down to Oklahoma City to spend Christmas with uh, their mom. That's going to be that'll be also cool because uh, we'll actually get Christmas morning and watch the little girl. She, uh, little Ava is my goddaughter. Is not only my niece, but she's my goddaughter, and um, she is one. And this is uh, her first her first Christmas where she's conscious enough to know how to open a present. Uh, with last year being, she just kind of sat and drooled a lot. So. Um, so we're looking forward to, that's going to be an exciting Christmas. It's also going to be very hectic. Uh, by the time we get home Sunday night, we're probably just going to drop. And uh, then, of course, we'll have to work Monday. And after a couple of days of that, I'm supposed we're supposed to be going out to uh, with some friends to Branson, Missouri, um, to, have, uh, to do a Christmas slash New Year's celebration with them for New Year's. So I'm going to be going all over three states in the next two weeks but it does look like I'm gonna to have to skip next week I'm just not gonna have time to record anything uh, this time again I just didn't have time to do a full episode and I think this is gonna be my third episode of saying next episode will have world's finest number 200 
I promise. But this episode, I wanted to do something special for Christmas. And what I've got here is a Christmas story. Now, the way I decided to do this, there are not a whole lot, but there are a few um, Superman stories that take place in the main Superman books during the Bronze Age. However, I will be getting to those eventually in my reviews. And I didn't see a point, and one, I didn't want to skip one later on, but I also didn't see a point in reviewing an issue twice. So what I decided to do is with all the other Superman appearance, um, appearances that take place in the Bronze Age, there are several of those that also have Christmas stories. One of my favorite, um, I actually first time I read this was a reprint in Christmas with the Superheroes, which was from 1988. Uh, but this is an issue. Uh, it's Justice League of America number 110. Uh, from the cover date is April 1974. Was released December 6, 1973. Uh, and it's got a Nick Cardi cover on it. Uh, it's a one 100 page spectacular issue so of course it's probably going to make it harder to find on uh, like in the back issue bins or it'll be worth more obviously uh, it's got a cover by Nick Cardi and basically since it is a 100 super spectacular 100 page super spectacular um, it is one new story and some reprints this issue actually shows um, in addition to the starting to the main story which does get uh, cover credit here we have a Justice Society story uh, involving uh, them going against street gangs and then an older Silver Age uh, oh I'm sorry the Justice Society story is a Golden Age reprint the there's a reprint Justice League story from the Silver Age that actually involves uh, a few members of the Justice League helping out Zatanna finding Zatara her father so both of those are good stories. If you can find them, I highly recommend it. The cover it looks pretty cool. It's actually, um, um, if you've ever been to Mike's Amazing World of DC, which is where I actually got some of the information I've just read to you, like sale date uh, from, uh, the actual cover of this is actually used as some of his, uh, for his main background. But it's basically the, ju the members of the Justice League standing around uh, three boxes which indicate, which actually have images to show the uh, like splash images of the three stories that are going to be covered, and I do think it's interesting uh, because for some reason, and I'm get, I don't know if they've run out of well, they didn't run out of uh, of members because I know of at least one or two that aren't actually on this cover, but I find it funny. We do have we have Superman, Batman, and Flash, uh, and Flash doesn't really play a part in any of these either one of these stories neither does the Adam but he's there Black Canary and Green Arrow and Hawkman and the Earth One Green Lantern now there's Wonder Woman uh, but she looks more like the Earth One Wonder Woman however the only Wonder Woman that shows up in this story is the Earth Two Wonder Woman in the Justice Society story and the other person on here is Dr. Midnight from the Justice Society which just looks, I don't know, I didn't even notice it at first, but it just seems kind of weird that you'd have all the Justice League members and then Dr. Midnight. I don't know if he'd even be one of the more, I mean, nothing against Dr. Midnight, but I would have thought they might have tried to go with someone a little more well-known. At that point, I don't know how well-known he was, but he is one of the original members of the Justice Society, so what can I say? So, anyway, uh, the story that I'm covering is called The Man Who Murdered Santa Claus. It was written by Lynn Ween. Art is by Dick Dillon and, and Dick Giordano. And the editor was Julie Schwartz, with special thanks to Green Lantern fan Duffy Boland. Boland, B-O-H-L-A-N-D, so I think that's Boland. The story starts off calling itself this most special adventure of the Justice League of America. Uh, begins not with a call to danger, but as an errand of mercy. And we start off with that world's finest duo of Superman and Batman, rendezvousing to help get a gentleman named Santa uh, ready to visit some orphans. And apparently his name is Santa Simpson, and he's just finishing up his costume. He's got the hat and the beard and the gloves and the red suit and the black belt. And 
everything's looking looks like he's just about ready when all of a sudden there's a giant explosion and fortunately uh, Batman is protected because Superman's invulnerable body shielded him from most of the effects of the explosion unfortunately uh, Santa Simpson was in the room and no one could have stopped the explosion from hurting him and he has died but he holds a key in his hand and with it is a, it's a note attached that sa- states to the Justice League of America a Christmas gift to you from me a very special key beneath the arch it fits a lock that once it's turned will save a block of city folk both mayor and bum from being blown to kingdom come so waste no time don't hesitate you'll have till 12 to find the gate this key will fit though I admit I think you'll be too late signed an admirer so immediately Superman and Batman uh, activate their Justice League emergency signal devices to contact the other members of the Justice League unfortunately several members are not available uh, Barry Allen the flash is actually in the future uh, with his wife Iris Allen uh, to celebrate the holidays with her parents uh, Ray Palmer who's the Adam is actually busy in a microscopic in a sub microscopic universe and has really lost track of the Yuletide season and is not able to hear his device uh, the elongated man Ralph Dimby and, or Dibney, sorry, and his wife Sue are actually scuba diving off the Caribbean coast and obviously underwater you can't hear the thing and they're not really near it although uh, it is pretty cool he has just found a pearl for her. Uh, down in Atlantis Aquaman is presiding over the undersea city's sacred festival of lights uh, which isn't Hanukkah but it um, it's their own festival of lights although I do wonder why he wouldn't answer an emergency over that, but then again, he's king, I don't know how that works. Uh, However, there are some that can, um, even though they are not too happy with it. Um, Red Tornado, John Smith, is uh, actually walking through Central Park with his lady friend Kathy Sutton, and uh, tells her he's got to deal with an emergency. Uh, Oliver Queen, who is the Green Arrow, and his friend, lady friend, Dinah Lance, who we also know as the Black Canary, um, of course, are going to respond. Um, however, I do find it funny that her hair is colored, well, black, with the blue highlights, like she's putting, but it looks like she's putting on a wig, which we know she does that. She puts on a blonde wig to become Black Canary, so I don't know what that is, but. Anyway, um, Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, um, is just getting in the shower when his device activates, and so he goes to answer it, and actually somehow uh, his bar bar of soap is outside of the tub, and he he steps on it, which causes him to slip and fall, and he hits his head on the bathtub. With his JLA signal device uh, continuing to sound, uh, his power ring activates. It checks on Hal, realizes he's okay, uh, leaves him in a healing aura, and streaks off into the night. Uh, In a certain urban ghetto, we see Jon Stewart um, talking to some friends, and uh, suddenly the ring lands on his finger and tells him he's needed and takes him to the Justice League satellite. Uh, Speaking of the satellite, 22,300 miles above the Earth, we see that the only members that have arrived are looking straight at us for some reason. And we've got Black Canary, oh, JLA roll call of Black Canary, Green Arrow, Red Tornado, Superman, and Batman. And of course, Green Lantern shows up. Well, I'm sorry, John Stewart, the Green Lantern, shows up. And of course, apparently at this point, none of the other heroes except for, well, actually, none of these other heroes have met John Stewart as Green Lantern. Although Ollie, although Ollie, or Green Arrow, sorry, I call him Ollie because I've just been reading too much Green Lantern, I guess. Uh, but Ollie actually has heard of him, so he can bounce from him a little bit. So right off the bat, we have a Green Lantern with a chip on his shoulder. He's not in a happy mood, and he likes to refer to people as brother. 
So anyway, um, they started a discussion about how this is not a good night because of all nights, this is, I mean, it's Christmas Eve and this is not a good way to spend it. And of course, Red Tornado was wondering why this is so special and Green Arrow doesn't know how to explain it to a machine, which makes Red Tornado mention that if he's unequal to the task, just say so and uh, you don't have to worry about answering the question. And of course, this gets Green Arrow to start to get pretty ticked off. And as he starts to say something, Batman shows a cool head and um, says, you know what, put it aside, we have more important things to deal with right now. So, he explains to everybody what the current problem is. And that we have that they have until midnight before an entire block of innocent people will die. And all we have to go on is the is the card attached to the key in Santa's hand. So, uh, reading the card, Batman of course figures out that the arch that is mentioned in the note uh, refers to the arch in St. Louis. And uh, so we have Superman, Green Lantern, and Red Tornado on top of the arch, trying to figure out how they're going to figure out where the key fits. Uh, obviously, Superman points out that the most obvious way to do it would be to check the key in every lock in the city, but obviously that's not going to work because that would take them forever. And unfortunately, the Flash isn't there to do it at super speed. Uh, but uh, Red Tornado speaks up and says that he can, he can move now not quite as fast as the Flash. He should be able to handle it in the speed required, in the time required, especially if Green Lantern can uh, use his ring to make the key a Geiger counter so that he can kind of home in on the actual lock. So, uh, using a little bit of concentrated willpower, uh, we get a nice green glow on the key and the Red Tornado zooms off. He goes all over the city and has one spot left in a bad part of town with a built con in a section of the uh, inner city uh, that it looks like it's about to be condemned. And uh, finally, the key starts glowing like Red Tornado's found it. And brief moments later, uh, the rest of the Justice League members show up and they, well, before they can do anything, uh, a group of, of children show up and ask if they have any mother, if they have any mother, mother, uh, if they have any money to give. And John Stewart wants to give the money because he's been in that, in their same situation. These are homeless kids that are wearing rags and he comes, he has that same, he comes from that same kind of past. But unfortunately there isn't anything he can do right now because he's wearing the Green Lantern tights and there's no pockets on it. So Green, Lan Green Arrow mentions that if he wants to help them, then they need to get on with their mission to save the day. So uh, Superman Butte takes the key and unlocks the door. Meanwhile, they're being observed by a man in shadows. Uh, they enter the building and we see it's, it's a condemned building with old food, old rotted food and rats. And um, before they can do much to, before they can even really stare in awe at the horribleness of the place, a trapdoor is sprung and all of our heroes fall into, well, basically it's a hole. And suddenly, a sun starts to descend upon the Justice League members. And it's a sun, it's a yellow sun, or it's a sun with a yellow core. So that means Green Lantern's ring isn't going to affect it. However, it is a sun that emits red solar radiation, which means Superman's powers are being knocked out. And uh, there, Superman realizes there's really only one way to do it, because everyone else basically has no powers. These are all humans, except for... Well, obviously, Red Tornado is a robot, but Superman realizes that if, he, if there's any chance of stopping the sun, it's going to have to be with him. So, with Batman and Green Arrow's help, he gets boosted up and makes a leap into the sun and destroys it. Unfortunately, it appears Superman has died. As Batman puts it, the explosion blew Superman to atoms. But before they can really react to that, a door opens, and they know that they better hurry up because their mission, they still have their mission to take care of. So they get through the door, and it sh uh, quickly shuts behind them, 
and they come upon a calliope playing music and spewing out gas. Unfortunately, uh, the mysterious villain has again planned for Green Lantern, and the gas is yellow, so he can't do anything again about it. Granted, you would think he could use it to, I don't know, knock over the calliope, which is mostly orange, or, you know, crimp the pipes, which are just regular metallic colored, but no, he can't. So somehow, Black Canary gets the idea that if she can use her sonic screen to counter the Calliope song, maybe she can stop the gas. How that works, I don't know. This apparently is comic book science. So she does her song, and it works. The gas is actually repelled. And so as that happens, another door opens, and the rest of the members of the Justice League run out, but Green Arrow tries to get her to come along, but Black Canary says she can't because the only thing holding back the gas is her standing there and singing. I'll get back into that in a minute, but as it is, looks like she's had to sacrifice herself. She uh, uses her martial arts training to flip Green Arrow and throw him out through the door, and of course it shuts closed behind him. And he's all upset because now Black Canary has apparently died. We are then we then have it revealed to us that the person behind all of this is the Key, an old Justice League villain that last appeared in Justice League 63. So it's been almost 40 issues. So if that tells you how popular he was, then I can assume that these guys are not expecting to be going up against the Key. Anyway, he makes a mention that. Um, the Justice League will be as dead as he is, or at least most of them. And he also mentions again that he's about to slither off this mortal coil. So things don't sound good for the key. Meanwhile, back with our Justice League members, they finally get their act together and start moving on. Um, as they come across giant globes that look like Christmas tree ornaments, and they're bounding, quote-unquote, bounding, sorry, uh, towards the heroes. Uh, so they, in their own way, they decide that they're going to um, have to take care of these, but Batman warns that they shouldn't touch them. So Green Arrow's using his arrows, uh, Green Lantern's using his ring against all the non-yellow colored balls. Uh, Red Tornado, well, you would imagine he's doing something, but in the image he's just standing there watching. And Batman uh, sees that there is one one. One of these balls is about to strike Green Arrow, and there's no time to use anything from his utility belt, so he does a somersault flip and uses his body to stop it. Unfortunately, that ball absorbs Batman into it. Green Arrow tries to save him, but unfortunately, by the time he can get an arrow out of his quiver, Batman's gone. So, somehow he realizes that the balls are attracted to the heroes because of their body heat, so using a couple of incendiary hero, heroes, incendiary arrows, uh, he is able to gener generate enough heat to pull all of these other ornament balls towards him. And of course, since, it, since this is working, one other portal door opens, and Green Arrow tells Green Lantern and Red Tornado to get out of there. So they run out, uh, thanks to Green Arrow's sacrifice, and are suddenly find themselves about to be attacked by ten soldiers. So before they can attack too much, the heroes try to take them out. Red Tornado since uses his tornado power, and Green Lantern, of course, uses his ring, and starts making short work of these soldiers. However, because they are special and made by the key, they suddenly turn yellow which means that Green Lantern's power ring has no effect on them. And they also suddenly grow heavier, which means that uh, Red Tornado's whirlwind power is not doing a darn bit of good. They're about to be smothered by these tin soldiers when all of a sudden another portal door opens and they fall through it, and it shuts. And they, the two heroes find themselves with a darkened tunnel behind them, so they decide that they're going to follow that. Meanwhile... The key is watching this on video, and from the angle he's got, it definitely looks like the yellow tin soldiers have smothered and are killing the members of the Justice League. So this leaves him free to monologue about how, about what has happened since the last time he encountered them, 
Uh, apparently at the end of the last adventure, Superman decided that he was going to keep him in a state of suspended animation in his Fortress of Solitude, but a quote-unquote too lenient judge decided that that was unconstitutional and sentenced the key to 20 years to life. Unfortunately, it turns out uh, during a physical that all of the various psychochemicals that the key has injected himself with over the years has somehow destroyed his cellular balance and he's got less than a year to live. The doctor said he might make it through Christmas but definitely not to New Year's and they decide that, uh, that under the circumstances to parole the man. Which doesn't really make sense to me but so now that he's paroled um, he spends the next few months plotting how he's going to destroy the Justice League because they're the only ones who have ever defeated him. And there was no way he was going to let them watch him die. And as he finishes his monologue, all of a sudden behind him, he hears someone say, Forget it, brother. The tag on that gift should say, You can't open it till Christmas. And it's still a few minutes before midnight. And suddenly he turns around to see a door open, and it's Green Lantern and Red Tornado. If the, if the fact that the guy said brother isn't an indication to you. Turns around again and there's another portal that opens. This time it's Superman and Black Canary. And then yet another portal opens and we see Black... Uh, not Black. We see Batman and Green Arrow. It turns out they've all survived. And when they ask how, or when the key asks how, another door opens. And this time we see the Phantom Stranger enter with an unconscious member of the Key's group of Keymen. And it turns out that the Key, or not that the Key, it turns out that the Phantom Stranger actually knocked out this Keyman and was able to take his place and um, make sure that the Justice League did not get, you know, did not get killed. He actually provided their escape in each and every one of their scenarios preventing the key's plan from succeeding. So the key decides he's got nothing left to lose and he runs over to his computer again which actually just looks like a box with a whole bunch of keys in it which makes sense since he's the key. Um, first key he turns actually puts a yellow uh, shield around him so green arrow or green Lantern's ring has no effect, again, and Green Arrow tries to blast it with an arrow, but it doesn't do him any good. So, uh, another key actually activates the bomb that the Justice League members were trying to stop in the first place, and another key allows the key to escape and opens a trapdoor under him. But, unfortunately, well, yeah, well, unfortunately, the Justice League members have more important things to do than chase down the key. So as fast as they can, they go out in their own way to do a mass evacuation of the one block area. Superman's using um, looks like bleacher seats or something to carry some people away. Batman's swinging away with people on on his bat line. Red Tornado's flying people out. Green uh, Lantern is using his ring to construct uh, what looks like the shovel out of a steam shovel or a bulldozer to clear people out and Green Arrow and Black Canary are helping people run out of a building. Um, at that point once the clearing is all done and the evacuation is complete so Green Lantern flies up over that block and covers it with his shield and of course the explosion uh, occurs uh, destroying everything on the block however um, as Green Lantern explains after he completes his task he actually uh, since his uh, the Green Lanterns have a code against uh, giving these people new housing. What he did was, during the explosion, he was able to use the remains of what had been destroyed and cre uh, use it to create or to reconstruct the buildings. And now they're exactly as they were, but now they don't have the roaches wraps and the colla uh, collapsing ceilings and such. And for the first time in the entire issue, Green Lantern says, uh, well, Green Lantern, Green Arrow finally refers to Jon Stewart as Green Lantern, which I guess I should have done during my review, but I 
Sorry, I didn't think to do that till just now. And anyway, um, during all the commotion, Batman notices that Phantom Stranger has again disappeared. And um, once again, apparently they did try to invite him to join the JLA in Justice League 103, but he did not accept it then. And this time, he's, a, he's disappeared before they can ask him a second time. Um, and it looks like all's well that ends well. But we have an epilogue several hours later. Um, and it's now several hours later. Green Lantern has, I guess, returned his ring back to Hal Jordan. Returned the ring back to Hal Jordan at this point. But Hal isn't in this epilogue either. Uh, the roll call for the epilogue, I guess we could do, is uh, Green Arrow. Black Canary, Superman, and Red Tornado. And uh, once again, there's an emergency call sent out, and Red Tornado shows up, and the other members of the Justice League that are there um, decide they want to give him a present. Uh, apparently, Black Canary has gotten tired of looking at the grim and drab outfit that he's been wearing, where he literally looks like he's wearing a robot helmet. He's got a purple cape, which might be gray, but it's a different gray than Batman's costume, than on Batman's costume, so I'm going to go with purple. And uh, purple gloves, and it's really a, just a really drab outfit. So they give him a new costume, and basically this is the costume that he is mostly known for wearing. This is the costume that is all red and yellow, uh, with the blue cape and uh, with the red trim on the cape. Uh, yellow gloves, the T symbol on his chest, and the arrow that we see you can see on his head, and his face no longer looks really robotic, it looks more like a human face. And so this is actually the uh, way we do that um, Red Tornado seems to be mostly known up until about the time where Justice, I think, comes around. Uh, the comic, not the show. And um, so he thanks everyone for doing that, and then we have a whole thing about that um, they're giving and what Christmas is all about. And uh, Superman makes a reference to Jesus without actually saying his name. So it's, a, so it's thinly veiled, but it's obvious who he's talking about. And it all is, ends with Green, uh, with Green Arrow getting a kiss from Black Canary and Superman wishing a Merry Christmas to everybody. And that's it. Now, um, for my notes, um, I don't know if I have really that much. Uh, there are a few things, I, of course, I've got to nitpick about. Uh, I guess, first of all, I find, like, again, uh, several, like we said, several members of the Justice League are out of, quote-unquote, town. Um, now, I can understand the, Din the Dibneys not being able to get their call and Adam not getting his. Uh, the time travel thing makes sense. I don't know much about the Flash and the Bronze Age again, but um, obviously if he's in the future at the moment, um, he's not going to hear the call, but I, you almost wonder if maybe they could have you know, gone to the future and then come back right after they left, which means they would that he would have been available for the mission, but that's neither here nor there. And then, of course, Aquaman, I guess he put he's, the fact that they're having a peaceful uh, Festival of Light celebration is a little more important than, a, to, well, to him anyway, is it more important than dealing with a block of innocent, a block's worth of innocent lives in a surface city. But um, I do like, uh, it was pretty cool uh, seeing Red Tornado again. Um, most of my stuff with Red Tornado that I know of comes from his time with both Young Justice and the Justice League re-re-re-reboot uh, that Brad Meltzer did after Infinite Crisis. And um, of course Kathy Sutton is important in some of that stuff too, so we know eventually she becomes more than just a lady friend. But um, it was cool to see these characters. Um, and of course I already mentioned the thing about Black Canary with her wig. Um, I thought it was funny on page four that uh, Green, uh, Green Lantern goes to get out of the shower. For one, apparently he takes a shower without using soap since it's on the floor outside of the tub. And second, um, what always struck me as funny is that to my recollection, and as far as I've known, now granted I didn't really start reading any Green, uh, Green Lantern comics until... Uh, 
Kyle Rayner took over. But the Green Lantern costume always seemed to be a construct of the ring. And if the ring lost power, obviously you went back to your normal clothes and all that stuff. And in this instance, we see the Green Lantern costume hanging up next to the shower. But then again, that doesn't make sense because after Hal gets hurt and the ring flies off, it lands on Jon Stewart and now he's wearing a costume. So maybe it can make one at a time? I'm not sure. Maybe it pulled that other one with it. Whatever. Anyway, um, it is kind of freaky on page 5 when all of the heroes of the Justice League appear to be looking at us. They're not happy, they're just kind of staring, and when you move, their eyes kind of follow you, and it's kind of freaky. But really what they're doing is staring at the, at the key sitting on the table. And, um, again, this is the 70s, so we get some stereotypical kind of talk. Uh, John Stewart's got an attitude on him, refers to everyone as brother, and, um... The only reason I say that's stereotypical is later on when those kids show up, uh, two of them are also black, and they also talk to him and refer to him as brother. So I think, but then again, this is a white guy writing in a time when they were doing the stereotypical stuff with that, so it's just the way it's going to be. I also do like, though, on um, page five when um, Red Tornado upsets Green Arrow. Green Arrow not only looks upset, but he actually has some lines over his head to indicate like heat, like that old cartoon way of showing that they're really ticked by like having their face turn red or something. This in, oh, this is a different way of indicating that he's you know boiling mad. I like that. That's pretty cool. A little trick that Dick Dillon did there, or maybe Giordano. I don't. I'm not sure. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, now the major gripe I had with this, page 7. We've got Superman, Red Tornado, and Green Lantern uh, talking about how they're going to figure out where the key fits. Now they mentioned super speed. Now granted, Red Tornado might be fast. But just a couple of issues, or a couple episodes ago, we, um, or I, or, well, you guys follow me, so we um, did a uh, uh, covered a story in which Superman and Flash raced across the galaxy, and Flash only won by a, mar by a very slight margin. So, I would think, without even having to worry about it, Superman would know that he, that, you know, he could just fly around the city at super speed and take care of that, and take care of this mission. But for some reason, Red Tornado does it instead. Now, I don't know how super speed quick Red Tornado is, but I'm willing to bet that since we've never had a story where we have Red Tornado versus the Flash, that Superman's probably faster. And probably has more experience since uh, Red Tornado wasn't around when he was Superboy. So, yeah, of course... This one does. This is a story that seems to prefer to focus on Red Tornado and Green Lantern, obviously. So it makes sense that they would use them that way. But I just think it's a little. It's pushing it a little bit there. Page eleven. I don't know how the science works, but I don't see how sound. Now it's possible, I guess, but I don't see how Black Canary's Canary Cry can turn the gas back towards the uh, Calliope. When, like I said, Green Lantern should have been able to like crimp up, or, yeah, crimp uh, all of the uh, metal pipes at the top of it to prevent, you know, the whole gas from coming out thing. It's. I also think it's funny the Black Canary. Now this is gas. It's not going to move that fast. Black Canary should still be able to slowly walk out, and then, well, she didn't stay with the heroes, so maybe she could have tried that before, but the door did shut. But I do think it's weird that she can talk while she's doing the scream. I would think she'd be able to turn and run with Ollie out of the room. But I don't know. There's not as much drama if you do it that way. Um, 
the giant <laughs> and I can't I can't say it really without laughing too much but the giant balls that, uh, that come to attack them they're all uh, well none of them sh seem to have any indication that they're going to do what this one ball does of absorbing Batman into it they're hitting each other they're hitting other stuff they're bouncing around and then Batman hits it you would think he would just break it or bounce off but he gets pulled, sucked into it instead. That doesn't make sense. Also, um, I, the caption on the one on the third panel does mention that all of our heroes are using their unique ability abilities to knock away all the globes. But literally, Red Tornado is just standing there, and we don't know what Batman has done. But he is leaping over one to knock out another one. And I'm not sure which direction it's coming from because we actually have two sets of those um, speed lines. So I can't tell if this ball that Batman ends up stopping is coming from the right or the left. It's not very clear in the art, so I don't know about that. Um, and then in the bottom panel, it looks like... Um, uh, the it looks like the balls are getting away or going rolling away from them so it's weird how green arrow felt it necessary to attract all of the balls to him before the other heroes can leave and i don't know how he was able to figure out that they're coming after them because of the fact that it's tracking their heat because really maybe he maybe they just they uh, the art isn't very clear with these. I don't know if maybe it's obvious the balls have actually, or these globes have actually turned around and come back towards the heroes. But it looks like they, the heroes were on one end of the room, the globes were released from another end of the room, and obviously it would just roll towards them. So I don't know how we figured that out. Um, by page 14, I am getting, I was, I am starting to get tired of the fact that Green Lantern is in this story. Not because, and it has nothing to do with it being John Stewart instead of Hal Jordan, or the fact that he says brother every other word. It's because his ring is not working on anything. Everything, the key obviously would have made a great Green Lantern villain because of the fact that he knows how to stop Green Lantern cold, and that is by making sure everything is yellow. The sun, the gas and then the soldiers turn yellow too so so that that was just getting kind of annoying um, now <laughs> this is just funny I don't know how of it is just silver and bronze age silliness and how much of it is because that's the way he had to look because I don't know the keys origin very well but Page 16, when he's doing his monologue describing everything that's happened between his capture and this issue, he's got this weird ornamental headdress. It looks like it's shaped like a keyhole. Doesn't look like hair. Looks like a hat. But obviously it looks like it's part of his costume. And judging by the coloring, the back of, I mean, it really literally fits over his head like some of those trick arrow things where they have the, uh, that you put on your head and it looks like one end is poking out of one side and the other end poking out of the other side or something. During the physical, it looks like not only does the key not have nipples, but he looks like he might not be wearing any clothes, but somehow still has his headdress on. When he's released from prison, he's wearing a suit, like a literal like three-piece suit, tie and everything, but he's still got the headpiece on. That is the weirdest thing. I don't know why. If you know, please feel free to write in. I'd love to hear it. Also, it's kind of weird. His nose actually looks like, I mean, it's his nose. It's just his nose, but it's pointed and looks like Batman's cowl. And depending on the angle, he's either got a really thick brow not quite like uh, Martian Manhunters would be, but um, he's either got a thick brow or just regular head. Either way, the fact that we have Phantom Stranger as the surprise hero comes out of nowhere 
it's just one it's just one of those instances where it's thrown in there but it's almost like Lindween wrote himself into a corner and didn't know how to save the hero so he's like well you know what we need someone else that can be in the background and save the day and he picked Phantom Stranger maybe at random maybe he had to change it at some point I'm not sure but it just seems kind of random that all of a sudden the Phantom Stranger would just be there you have to wonder why the heroes didn't evacuate first if they had failed that block would have been destroyed with all those people. Now, I, now, seriously, once they found the door and they knew what block it was on, you would think that the first thing they would do before they go into the building is evacuate so that if they aren't able to succeed, even if the tenements and everything are destroyed, at the very least, the people will survive but they don't do it until the last minute and then they have to hurry so it's possible they could have missed somebody but apparently they don't so it's okay um i do like the bit at the end where uh, where green arrow or green arrow why do i keep doing well probably because they're both green but green lantern is able to uh use his power to turn the the now the debris from the buildings into new tenements uh, it makes me wonder though and and i I've wondered this every time I see some kind of story where someone just out of nowhere reconstructs a you know a tenement or a home out of the remains of whatever was there before. So do these tenements have things like I don't know, toilets, um, plumbing, furniture, TVs? Uh, this, is, this is the 70s. Eight-track uh, players record players you know does it have all the extra all any of the stuff that they had or is it literally just an empty building and now they now they've got this nice place to live but now they have to go find now these people with no money have to go find like furniture and things so i don't know and the last part it really has nothing to do with the story other than it being a christmas present and it does kind of help red, uh, red tornado run about christmas um but I do like this the new costume he gets. It's a lot brighter and it makes him look more human. It actually at the end he actually had a little bit of a smile on his face which the rest of the story he couldn't do he couldn't actually emote. It was just a blank robot face. And now he can he has eyes and it looks like he could be a human with just wearing a full face costume or face paint. And uh, like I said, this is a costume that he's most known for, for the most part. There are some changes, but for the most part, this is the costume he still has. The art in the story is a lot of fun. Again, like I said, Dick Dillon's not my favorite, but Dick Giordano really cleans it up nice. There are a few places where the art's a little meh, but for the most part, the story itself other than a couple spots, I like the story. It's a nice, fun little uh, Justice League adventure. <laughs> well, if you can call the fact that they're trying to save a whole block of housing from being destroyed fun, but um, it, it, it's a good. I like it. It's a good little Justice League story, and it fits in. It, the whole thing doesn't fit in with Christmas. Uh, really, I'm thinking most of that epilogue was just a good way to bring the fact that it is a Christmas story back into the story. Because, well, other than the fact that, um, you know, the Ten Soldiers. Well, I guess that does make it Christmas, so I don't know. But um, I like it. It's a good Christmas. I like it's a It's a fun Christmas story, and it's a fun story to read. Excuse me. At Christmas time, it doesn't tie into a whole bunch of um, other continuity. It reads like and like it's an e like an episode maybe of Brave and the Bold more than or Batman Brave and the Bold more than like Justice League. Other than the fact you know this is the Justice League, but um, it's just a fun story and I like it a lot. And um, the only uh, you know other than a couple like couple of gripes, um, I really enjoy this story. This is my last episode in 2010, and um, <laughs> I have to admit, this last couple months has been a real blast. Um, I've gotten to know a lot of people, uh, especially podcast people. Um, it's been a great learning experience. I want to thank all the people that have been writing in or who have reviewed. Um, I want to thank 
the other members of the Superman podcast community um, for welcoming me. And um, I look forward to, again, both Michael Michael and John's uh, Golden Age Superman podcast. And um, uh, just again, I hope everyone has a Merry Christmas. Uh, very, very happy new year. Um, and I'll see you next year. Thank you for listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer. You can write to the show at umbc81 at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show two ways, via the RSS feed at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com or via iTunes. Also, if you like this show, make sure you check out the blogs and podcasts listed in the recommended sites section, and be sure to check out my reviews of other classic Superman comics at www.supermanhomepage.com. Superman and all related characters are copyright DC Comics. Also, any images or music used for this blog or podcast is purely for entertainment only. I do not make any money from this show. Thank you again for listening, and God bless. Okay.